Hi friends, Gerald Law here. Welcome to the Love Lake Norman podcast. Love Lake Norman is a church in Cornelius, North Carolina, whose mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. You're about to hear a message that will be helpful and hopeful. Our goal is to encourage you to take the next step in your faith. Wherever you are, we want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, I don't know if you've heard the phrase, uh, I've seen enough. Like if you heard the phrase, I've seen enough, you know, people say I've seen enough uh, when at some point you've seen enough to be satisfied. Like you've seen enough to draw a conclusion. Like, okay, I've seen enough. They say it with elections. So when they finally call an election, somebody will, on a news channel will finally say, I've seen enough, she won, I've seen enough, he won, I've seen enough. Uh, if you're watching like the NBA slam dunk contest and somebody does like a 720 through the legs reverse slam, everybody stands up and they're like, it's over, it's over. I've seen enough, right? Like I've seen enough. If, you, if you're hiring and you hire, you know, you're, you're interviewing people and you finally find that candidate that you love and you're like, okay, I've seen enough. She's the one, I've seen enough. He's the, uh, the one. Um, maybe, uh, Maybe it's like this, Uncle, Uncle Freddy, who's been staying with you for like six days straight, strolls into your kitchen in his underwear six days in a row, and you're like, I've seen enough, it's time for you to go. No, um, th that's not exactly what I mean, actually. I've seen enough is like, I'm satisfied, I'm ready. I've drawn my conclusion, I don't need to see anything else. I'm gonna tip my hat early today with this message. Normally I try to kind of like, from a message preparation standpoint, hold some suspense back and, and, and not exactly tell you where we're going, but today I'm gonna tell you exactly where we're going right now, okay? I'm gonna tip my hat early. I'm gonna ask you a question today about Jesus. I'm gonna ask you a question today about Jesus, and that question is going to be this. At what point have you seen enough? At what point have you seen enough? I'm gonna tell a story today about a guy in the Bible who wasn't sure that he had seen enough. Like he wasn't quite sure that he had seen enough. He had seen a lot, but he wasn't sure that he had seen enough. You know, uh, Ethan said this earlier, but we wanna be a place, we wanna be a church where you can belong before you believe. You can belong before you believe, and the reason we wanna be a church like that is because that's the environment that Jesus created. Like, that's the atmosphere that was around him. He had people around him following him and, and, and sort of trying to figure him out and belonging, and he put his arms around them and he said, hey, come along with me. I'm gonna help you believe while you belong. That's the kind of atmosphere that he created, and so that's the kind of church we wanna be. And that, that typically means you're gonna have about two different audiences, probably more, but at least two different audiences here. One of those is those who, who belong but don't yet believe. Uh, those who belong but don't yet believe. Maybe you don't even call yourself a, a Christ follower. Maybe you don't even call yourself a Christian. We're so glad that you're here. We, we believe this about the church. There's nowhere quite like the church. The local church should be a place of love and acceptance and care for anyone, whatever your place in life is, wherever you are in life, whatever age or race or religion you grew up in, whatever your relationship status is, there's a place for you here. There's a place for you here. Now, there's a reason the church is different from anything else that you can belong to. You can belong to a lot of things, you probably already do. Uh, we weren't founded though to form a club 
like athletics or around social causes. We, we weren't founded by some kind of corporation who's just looking to expand their, their market share. We, we weren't founded like that. We weren't founded even, and this might blow your mind, we weren't found, founded even on a set of principles or ideals. You, you may walk into the church thinking, oh, you're founded on this set of principles and ideals. Not primarily, because we exist because of a person. We were founded on a person, a person who Christians believe was, was God who came to earth, was born in poverty, who performed miracles, who healed the sick and taught about a coming kingdom. We were founded on a person who took on a criminal's death on the cross and we believe that he rose from the dead so that he could say, so that he could come and say, I am gonna build my church and the gates of hell are not going to overcome it. Now, you might not believe that today, and that's okay. Like, we want you to be here. We want you to belong. But let me just tell you this. I'm gonna let you in on this little secret too. Our hope is that you won't just belong. You won't just belong, but that you will explore and you will discover Jesus for yourself so that you can say one day, hey, I not only belong, but I believe. The reason is that we wanna see you do that is because we love you too much to leave you alone, all right? We love you too much to leave you alone. So I wanna invite you, this is your invitation, to explore Jesus like you never have before, to dig into his claims, to dig into who the church says he is, who he says he is, not just going through the motions, okay? Um, sometimes we ask big questions in life and, and we tend to ask questions like, well, what am I gonna do with my life? What, what is my job gonna be? Where am I gonna go to college? Who am I gonna marry? What, what is life going to look like, but I would say to you today this. The biggest question in life, the biggest question in life is not who will I grow up to be? The biggest question in life is not who am I going to marry or where will I live or what am I gonna do with the rest of my life? The biggest question is not what's my job gonna be? The biggest question is this. When it comes to Jesus, have you seen enough? When it comes to Jesus, have you seen Enough. Now, the second group of people that we know are here are those who not only belong, but they already believe. Those of us who have said yes, and we've said that Jesus is our leader, he's the centerpiece of our lives, of everything that we do. And everything that we do every single Sunday, guys, is focused on our mission. And, and, and so we want you to grow in relationship with him. If that's where you are, we want you to grow. And there's always new things to learn. You can never not be in a place where there's something to learn, a step to take. We wanna to grow to be more like him. That's what being a disciple is. That's what being a disciple is, just growing more like Jesus. Now, um, so, there's one follower that you don't hear too much about. And I wanna tell you his story from the Bible this morning, from the book of John. There's a guy named Thomas. Now, now Thomas, uh, is a lot like us. I love reading about Thomas because he's so much like me. He's so much like us. Jesus has been crucified at this point. Jesus has been crucified and he has risen and the followers of Jesus are starting to say, hey, he's appeared to us. And it's like shocking, okay? It is, it is shocking. It is mind-blowing what is happening. And, and here we get introduced to Thomas and here's what it says. It says, now Thomas, 
um, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, okay, he was one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So Thomas, one of the original 12 disciples. Now, uh, one of them betrayed Jesus, Judas, right? And, and we kinda know about Judas, but Thomas had this other issue going on. He wasn't there when Jesus had appeared to the others. And so what happened was this, the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. We have seen the, the, the Lord, they said to Thomas. Now you, um, maybe like me, uh, you, you grew up maybe with some, some doubts about this. Maybe you grew up, maybe you still have them, some sort of secret doubts even about the resurrection. Uh, maybe you grew up around a lot of church people, right? And, and church people who would say things to you or say things in your company like, I met Jesus, you know? And, and you're going, really? Because I didn't see him walk in the room, right? But you met Jesus, and you've been around people who said, Jesus said this, or I felt his presence, and, and you're like wanting to raise your hand and go, yeah, right, but I have questions. Like, I hear you, but I have questions. And Thomas is your guy, because Thomas is thinking this, but I saw him die. I saw that man die, and here's what he says. I, I just love the honesty. He says, um, but uh, the other, just, oh, let's see. but he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe, unless I can touch it for myself, unless I can see it with my own eyes, I'm not gonna believe. Guys, I saw them drive nails into his hands and his feet, and you did too. I saw them thrust a spear in his side, and you did too. And that image is still with me. That was just a few days ago, Thomas is thinking, and maybe saying out loud. You know how some images stick with you. I remember when I was in a car wreck when I was 16, and I can tell you exactly what happened, and that was a lot of years ago, all right? But I can see that 68 lime green Mustang wrapping itself around that tree. It didn't wrap itself around the tree. I wrapped it around the tree, but like I remember that like yesterday. We remember certain things, and Thomas is thinking about and thinking back to just a few days ago. I saw him die. I saw him die, and he's asking this question that sometimes we ask: Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Thomas, unless I touch him, unless I see it for myself, I won't believe. So I want to share a few things with you this morning about that, and this is really like why I would consider myself a Christian. This is why I would consider myself a Christian. There's really two things. The first one I'm gonna share with you here, um, but, but it starts with a few steps. One of them is, is actually understanding this, is backing up and saying, hey, um, here's what we know, that Jesus was a literal historical person from history. He was a literal historical person. Now, uh, Scholars used to challenge this, actually, but, but not anymore. No one really challenges this because there's enough archaeological evidence. There's like over 10 ancient documents that are secular documents that, talk, documents that talk about Jesus, that mention Jesus. The second thing is this. Here's what we know. I mean, we can just know this. Jesus was crucified and laid in a tomb. He was crucified and he was laid in a tomb. Now, um, secular historians record this. 
They say that this is true, that Jesus lived and was crucified and his body was laid in a tomb, which was about four and a half feet wide, carved out of solid rock. It was a, a space about that big. Those are undisputable facts. And the third thing is this, three days later, the tomb was empty. Three days later, the tomb was empty. And you might go, well, how do we know that? Like, like how do we actually know that the tomb was empty? Well, if it wasn't empty, we wouldn't be here. Okay, like if it wasn't empty, Christianity wouldn't exist because after he was crucified, you know what the disciples did? You remember what they did? You might remember this story. They went back to work. Like they went back to fish. They decided, I guess it's all over. I guess we were wrong. And they went fishing. It wasn't until three days later that they claimed to have a personal encounter with Jesus. Another reason that this couldn't, like, like we know that the tomb was empty was because the disciples preached Jesus in the same city where he walked. So they came back and they said, you know that Jesus who was here a little while ago, he was just here last week, he rose. And they preached him in the same city in Jerusalem, the same city uh, that they walked. And, and so that you know what could happen, right? People could just walk out to the tomb and see for themselves. They could just walk out there, well, I'll prove you wrong. They could just walk out there and see and they found an empty tomb, but, but here's how this w might work. Like imagine if Ethan Pope, who was up here a few minutes ago, established a cult called the Ethanites, all right? And the Ethanites believe that, um, and, and they preach, the message that they preach is that Tom Cruise was stuck, struck by lightning. Like, like that's their message, okay? It's a weird message, I understand, but that's the Ethanites, and that's what Ethan is all about, I guess. Now, if you wanted to prove him wrong, what would you do? You would turn on the TV. You would look on Twitter, you would, try to, you would find out very, very quickly that that was wrong, that Tom Cruise wasn't in fact struck by lightning, that he's perfectly fine. If you were a critic, you would just do that and see that he could be proven wrong. People could have walked out to the tomb and they could have said, nope, he's still in there, right? Like the tomb is still shut. They didn't do that because they couldn't do that because the tomb was empty. And so what we know is that Jesus was uh, a person, he was crucified and the tomb was empty. Now, there's a lot of theories to explain away the resurrection, actually. Like, like there's a few, I'll just run a, a few by you here and see how they are. I mean, there's some theories that some of them at face value make some sense. One of them is this, that on Easter, um, Mary and Martha and the other women, in, in their haste and in their excitement, they went to the wrong tomb. Like, like they just went to the wrong tomb. That's one theory that has been put out there uh, to explain away the resurrection. And here's the problem. Like, like what would have to be true then is that Peter and John would have had to run to the wrong tomb. And the other disciples then would have in their excitement run to the wrong tomb. And then the Pharisees who would come to check it out, they ran to the wrong tomb. And then they would have found 16 Roman guards lying unconscious around the wrong tomb and a stone blown away around the wrong tomb. And then Joseph of Arimathea, who actually owned the, the tomb, couldn't find it. So that one doesn't really make a lot of sense. But there's another theory about the resurrection too, and it's this, that the disciples stole the body. You ever thought about that? Maybe the disciples just took the body, right? Like maybe they just took the body. Like there was a meeting on Saturday among the disciples and they were like, we look so stupid right now. Like we look dumb. Let's go down to the tomb and let's pay off the guards and let's take the body and then we'll bury it. And tomorrow the women will come out and they'll find the tomb empty and we will be the heroes of this story. 
which is, which is kind of great theory, right? Like it's, 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 it's a good idea except for this one little fact. Did you know that 10 of the 11 disciples were put to death for talking about the resurrection of Jesus, for preaching the resurrection of Jesus. 10 of the 11 were actually put to death for that. The question in that is this, do 10 smart people give their lives for something that they know is false? Do 10 smart people give their lives for something that they know is a lie? The disciples were convinced that Jesus had risen from the dead. So much so that they gave 10 of them their own lives. The 11th was, was like boiled in oil and exiled, okay? Maybe if there's a third theory out there though, and this one is not that the disciples stole the body. This one is actually that the Pharisees stole the body. Like the Pharisees stole, that's kind of interesting too. Like they had a meeting and they said, let's steal the body before the disciples do because we know they're gonna do something with it. Interesting, right? But here's the thing. If the enemies of Jesus had the body, why didn't they produce it? Why didn't they just, when the disciples were preaching, they could have like in the middle of a church service, right? In the middle of the disciples, they could have paraded the body out there and said, guess what? You're all wrong because here he is, but they couldn't do it. And here's why. They had no idea where the body was. Now there's one more theory that I'll give you and then we'll move on, is, is this. And this one's interesting. This is called the Passover plot and it uh, implies that the resurrection was an illusion. It was just a trick that, that was played on people by an evil man, Jesus, who was trying to prove to people that he was God. It was a trick that was pulled off by Jesus. And the, the, the theory is this, that they drugged him while he was on the cross. So you remember when they held up that sponge to his mouth, well, th their theory is that it actually contained, uh, contained this potion, this concoction of drugs that would cause him to pass out, go into a, a deep coma, and so that he would appear, appear dead. And then the potion would, would wear off and then Jesus would get up and proceed to proclaim himself Lord of the universe. Now, here's why this is impossible. And I just wanna invite you into this part of the Easter story with, with me today. Um, Jesus was uh, given a beating that was um, called the 39 lashes. Now, the reason it was 39 was because 40 was a death sentence. And he was given the death sentence minus one. So he was given 39 lashes and he was given lashes with something called a flagrum. Now a flagrum was, was a tool, an instrument that had these thongs of leather on it that were tied with either metal or bone on the end and they were designed, there were a bunch of those, usually like nine strips of leather onto this handle and it was designed with the idea that it would rip your flesh off in tiny strips. Many, many people died from this beating alone. Remember when Jesus fell carrying the cross? Do you know that the other two criminals who were carrying the cross, they didn't fall? You know why Jesus fell? Because he had received the 39 lashes. He was the only one beaten, possibly in the history of Rome, the only one who received the 39 lashes and crucifixion. Now, he was also forced to carry his cross 
after, uh, after his beating. And then, uh, as you know, like spikes were driven through his hands and his feet. But the word in Greek for hand actually includes the forearm, and that meant that the spike was actually driven through his forearm, uh, like his wrist, not his hand, because if you hung up there in your hand, you would actually pull off the cross, and so they would do it through your wrist. Now what that means, as you might imagine, is that it would tear right through the main artery of his wrist, okay? Now, also, there were four Roman guards stationed around the cross, and it was their job to determine his death. It was their job to sign the death certificate. In fact, if anybody came off of a cross alive, if anybody did in Rome, those four guards would be put to, put to death. They would actually be stripped naked, their clothes would be soaked in oil, they would be tied together in the middle of the town and lit on fire. So, when a Roman guard was trying to determine if someone had died, they might say, well, he looks dead, but let's make sure, and that's what happened with Jesus. He looked dead, but they wanted to make sure, and so they took a spear and they thrust it into his side. You might remember this. John records this, he says that outflowed, do you remember, blood and water. Outflowed blood and water, which is, medically speaking, an unmistakable sign of death because the blood separates from the water and it settles down while the water rises. And when that spear was thrust in his side, it would have produced an outflow of blood followed by water. So they took the body off the cross and they embalmed this body in kind of like mummy-like fashion. What they would do would be they would take these strips of cloth and they would wrap the body, ankles to, to armpits, and then their head would be wrapped with a shroud. And inside they would have these layers of cloth and inside each layer of cloth there was this substance that they would put in. It was, it was this mixture of spices and water and it would create this gummy, really kind of hard after two days uh, consistency so that it would actually function like a full body cast. And so if he wakes up and he's alive, he would actually be able to move because of that. Now, um, you consider something else about this, the stone that was rolled in front of the tomb. There have been some scientists at Georgia Tech who've estimated that it would weigh between one and a half and two and a half tons Roman uh, history says that it took 20 men, it would take 20 men to move one of these stones. That's a heavy rock, right? That's a heavy rock. Um, let's talk about the guard for a minute that was placed in front of the tomb. There were 16 Roman guards that were placed there and these guys were the most advanced fighting machines the world had ever seen. They were trained to guard six square yards of ground and they were equipped with six different weapons and a shield. Now there was a seal that was placed over the tomb. And you might be thinking, well, a seal, that sounds like it's pretty easy to break, and it would be pretty easy to break, but it would have been sealed by Pontius Pilate's ring, making it a federal offense to tamper and a death sentence to tamper with this particular grave. And so with the Passover plot, you kind of have to believe this. You kind of have to basically believe Jesus survived the worst beating that anybody has ever received and survived. He faked this unmistakable sign of death on the cross before anybody even knew that it was an unmistakable sign of death. And then two days later, without any medical help whatsoever, he jumps up and he kind of hobbles over to the front of the cave with his body cast at that point. He throws the two-ton stone out of the way. He beats up all the Roman guards and wraps them up, maybe ties them up with his mummy clothes, and he he goes on to proclaim himself Lord of the universe. Like that, that's that theory. 
And I think that it takes more faith to believe in that than to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Have you seen enough yet? Have you seen enough? Here's the best conclusion that I have found. On Friday, Jesus was dead. On Saturday, his body was decomposing. And on Sunday, he walked out of the grave alive, no longer the bloody lamb of God, but Jesus, the risen Lord. And when you look at the evidence, when you just take a glimpse at it, it's hard to deny that Jesus walked out alive. You know, sometimes, um, sometimes the sort of, I'm not gonna believe until I touch him, touch his hands and his feet, touch the, touch the, the wound in his side. Sometimes that mentality is just an excuse. It's just an excuse, it's a spiritual excuse. And let, the excuse is unless God does this, unless God speaks out loud to me, or unless God answers this particular prayer just how I pray it, or unless he does this or that, then I'm not gonna believe, and I guess he's not real. But God doesn't play those games. And he's not gonna play them with you. We set these hoops up sometimes for God to jump through, don't we? Like, you better do this, God, or I'm not gonna believe. And he's just like, that's not the game we're gonna play. But Thomas does say something that we all feel. He does say something that we all feel. What he says is this, I need an experience with Jesus. I need an experience with him. I need to touch his hands. And I would say this to you and to me. Your faith has to move from your head to your heart. Your faith has to move from the intellectual to the experiential and the practical. It has to go from here to here. And sometimes they say that's the hardest distance that we have. That's the furthest distance that we have from our head to our heart. But your faith has to move from one to the other. And all of those things are like the first reason I'm a Christian. But the second reason that I'm a Christian is this. My own encounter with Jesus when I was 12 years old. I felt the power of how personal he is to come and sit down beside me at a camp outside of Raleigh in the middle of the woods. And I've never shaken that loose. John records the rest of it like this. He says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Put your finger here, Jesus says. And Thomas does that and he just can't help himself. He says, he's alive. He's alive, you guys are right. He's alive. Can I ask you again, like at what point have you just seen enough? At what point are you confident enough? 
I can tell you this, you'll never get all your questions answered to your satisfaction. You will never get them all answered. And if you're putting that out and holding that up as a hoop that God needs to jump through, that just might be that you're holding up a hoop that God needs to jump through and you need to recognize that. But at what point have you seen enough? You know what Thomas said? The only thing he could say in that moment. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. And he did the only thing that was left to do. Surrender. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know who he's talking about? He's talking about you. He's talking about me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Listen, you don't have to touch his hands and his feet to know that he's real. You don't have to touch him to have a life-altering experience with him. You don't have to physically see him to begin to trust him. And Thomas carried this forward throughout his whole life. Like the story about Thomas is this, that he took the gospel, he took this message, the message of Jesus, he took it to India. And there was a day where he got himself into some trouble and he was surrounded by hundreds of people and someone was holding a knife to his throat. And they were saying to him, just say he didn't rise from the dead and we'll let you go. And if it had been a lie in that moment, I think Thomas would have said, you know, you're right. We took that body and buried him on the other side of the hill. But that's not what happened. He looked at him and he said, I know that that man walked out of that tomb alive. And they killed him. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And whether you're in that place where you're, uh, you're someone who said, I, I belong and I believe. Or maybe you're in that place where you're just saying, I, I wanna belong, I, I'm not sure I believe. The invitation to you today is the same. It's the same. It's the invitation into the words of Thomas. My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. And in those words is surrender and grace and hope and freedom. My invitation to you, and I'm hearing this today too for myself, is to say that to Jesus once again. Can I pray for you today and invite you into that, not to lose this moment, not to step too far, too fast ahead in your mind where you're going, but just stay in this moment right now and respond how you need to respond. And maybe your response is, my Lord and my God. Maybe your response is, I hear you, but I need a little more time, but I'm gonna explore. I'm gonna take it seriously. I'm gonna discover who Jesus is for myself. And yes, what a great thing to say. Maybe your response is, I'm just gonna come back next week and keep exploring and, and belong. I wanna belong here. Great, come, do that. I'm gonna give you a moment here just to do that work with God in this room together.
Would you pray with me? God, um, for those in the room today who simply need to say, um, whether it's from a place of, uh, of, of commitment to you that sometimes we just forget, sometimes we just lose our way, we just need to be reminded, um, or maybe it's for the first time saying, oh my goodness, I had no idea this was actually real. The words on our lips today are my Lord and my God. And I would invite you, my friends here today, if that's um, where you are, would you just say that to Jesus today? My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. And then those of us who are simply at a point where we need to take another step and maybe that step is to come back, maybe that step is to just take this exploration seriously of Jesus. Right now, we're gonna say to you, God, hey, God, um, would you make yourself real to me? Would you declare yourself to me? Would you declare your truth to my life? And I understand today that it is the most important question I can ask. So I'm gonna ask it. And I'm gonna go where the answers lead. I'm gonna go where the evidence takes me. And God, there are some in here who simply long for a personal experience with you. And I know, Jesus, you wanna give that to us. So as we sing this next song even, God, not that it's about music or not that it's about the words in the song even, but God, would you take this time, would you take this moment to give us an experience with you so that not only do we know you in our head, but we know you deeply in our hearts. And I pray this in the mighty, incredible name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, we want to encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.